Welcome to Get Off the Mic, a hockey podcast by hockey nerds for hockey nerds. Brought to you by the writers from GetOffTheIce.com. Welcome back to another episode of Get Off the Mic. I'm your host, Mac, and joining me today yet again is my co-host, Paul, but we aren't alone. Joining us for his first time in season two, making his return since he won the final trivia of season one, is the angry golfer, the man who hates Buffalo and loves Edmonton irrationally. It's Aaron. Hi, Aaron. Hi, guys. I love that intro. It's very accurate. Angry golfer. Yeah, mostly the golfing thing. Yeah, no, it's very much the golfing thing. How you been, buddy? Well, you know, enjoyed the off season. Did a lot of nothing. You know, just working. But day to day, nothing much. Just enjoying the weekends. How about you guys? Soon. <laughs> We've been doing this. Oh, it's right, <laughs> I figured. Today is January twenty fourth. Uh, not not much is going on in the hockey world. Not much at all. No big news. Nope. Nothing. We'll just yeah, we'll just skate through the episode. Obviously, I'm kidding. We have a lot to talk about, including the blockbuster deal, one that apparently someone on this podcast saw coming. It's also worth mentioning, Paul, that we should give credit to, I think it was Nighthawk. um, I was going to (laughs) say. From our segment uh, two episodes ago, where we pulled the 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 trades from Cap Friendly. Yeah. yeah. And I'm pretty sure it was Nighthawk who said line A for Dubois or line A and Roslovic for Dubois and something. It was very, it was very much what the deal was. Yeah. So I think if I remember correctly, it's a good job there. Either way, we will talk about line A and Dubois a little further along with many other things, including the NWHL getting going in a historic place. Player safety sucks. Dallas is back and goaltenders are good. But for starters, guys, our opening question is one that we've <laughs> already question who is a player that you stake your claim to that proves that you're smart at hockey oh my god you're trying (laughs) going for the listeners we tried word this question because it's a good question we just can't figure out how best to say it it's who do you who did you like say is going to be good and then is good so that confirms that you know shit about hockey for me not like an obvious player yeah, yeah, like, yeah, it's not like man, like you I, picking you saying Matthews is going to be good or McDavid. Like, no, like your underdog take, I guess. For me, I have two. One is a personal one. I like I I called Barzell from a like a year out from watching him play, and to be honest, mostly because in NHL 14 I had him, uh, I drafted him a bunch, and he turned out to be good. So I'm like, ah, he'll probably be good. Um, <laughs> but then the one that uh, our listeners should have followed along with. Uh, is Shea Theodore? I was on. I was on that train early. You were. Now look at him. Give you credit. What about you, Aaron? Who's that? Uh, who's who supports your hockey knowledge? I mean, I was very much on the Barzal train too uh, from the draft, and I mainly say that because Edmonton traded his pick, and you all know that, and you're going to say something about that anyway. The biggest one I would say, aside from Barzal, would be Chetron. Uh, he was supposed to be a top end player. I think it was like going to the year top two, top three. Then he got hurt, slid all the way to 16, and then kind of couldn't really find his footing. But I've been on the Chitron train for a while since he got drafted and finally get coming into his own this year. Well, hopefully, uh, Liljegren can follow a similar path. He's almost there <laughs> step by step. <laughs> Paul, what about you? Uh, I have, I think, two, two players that I've kind of followed and really liked 
in their draft year and then moving forward. Kyle Connor and Travis Connect Me. Those are my two guys. I just love the way they play. And I was very upset. I think I talked about this before on the podcast, but because Travis Connect Me was originally a Toronto pick, but they traded down with Philly. And it kind of worked out because I'm also a Philly fan, but Travis Connect Me on the Leafs would be oh, beautiful. So those are my two guys. I don't know about the Kyle Connor one, just because I, I don't know about that, but I can vouch that you were on the Connect Me train very early on. All right, good. So those are players that confirm that we know hockey. And there's a bunch that confirmed that we're, we're, we're bad at hockey. Yeah, I definitely was one of the people who thought the David Clarkson deal was going to like live on in Maple Leaf lore as one of the best ones ever. I was half Oof. right. Oof. That is a tough one. <clears throat> I think mine was Zach Hyman. Yeah. I hated he, him. Within our personal group, I, I stood alone. You were. You were the only guy in our friend group that said Hyman's a good player. Now, to be fair, I did that because personally, I associated with Iman as being a low skill forward on but in the top effort. six because I just try hard. Yeah, the effort was there. But then, in in a way, I'm wrong because Hyman apparently now has skill. I don't know. He's been dangling a lot. Yeah, last game you had a nice little uh, split through the legs windmill type there. of thing. Yeah, like okay, Hyman. Either way, let's let's get on to the real deal. Uh, over, not James, not James Neal, Aaron. Why did oh, I leave sorry. that up for you? <laughs> um, <laughs> yesterday, Saturday, the 23rd, uh, the call was made. Pierre-Luc Dubois and a third round pick is going to Winnipeg for Patrick Laine and Jack Roslevic. The 2016 draft is looking pretty funny now, eh? You got Matthews at the top, second and third were traded to a foot, traded to each other. Fourth is kind of a, a mess, but is trying to work it out. Fifth is definitely a mess. And then you got Matthew Kachuk. Yeah. Fourth is Pugliarvi, and fifth was Oli Uwalevi. Especially because this is not that long ago, too. Yeah, it's surprising. So let's get our first reactions. Aaron, do you think there's a clear winner? I mean, personally, yeah. But no, I really, like, I think, Col- uh, sorry, not Col- I think Winnipeg wins the trade personally just because centers are so much like elite centers are so much harder to come by and i don't know how line everything everybody said this i don't know how line is going to play under torts that's the biggest question it just doesn't seem like it'll mesh well they also got the extra year of uh, dubois on their contract so let's say line just refuses to come back to columbus like okay you got half a year of line and roslevic like just just looking at it, I think overall Winnipeg got what they needed more so than Columbus got what they needed. They just took the best return that they could get, if that makes sense. Interesting. I don't know how much I agree. Like all your points are totally fair, but I think that Columbus needed a pure goal scorer more than Winnipeg needed another center. You know what I mean? See, and it's and not that it like it's wrong to have two centers or anything no, like not, that. I'm not disagreeing, but then I look at the rosters and I think, okay, you put let's say you put Dubois on the wing, hypothetically. He's got two great lines to play with, either with Stasny or Shifley up the middle. Or you put him at center and then Winnipeg's depth just got Shifley one, Dubois two, Stasny three. 
et cetera, all the way down. And then they have wingers to play them with like Ehlers or XYZ. You know what I mean? But then if you look at Columbus and then you look at Line, yes, he's a pure goal scorer, but also look who Line was playing with. He was playing with Wheeler, who would, who I think led the league in assists a couple of years ago or was close to it. And then you got Shifley. And then you got all those other guys like along the way that helped him. And you go to Columbus. And if there's if they're already like struggling to score and produce points, who's going to give them the puck, right? That's that's my biggest question because I look down the middle at Columbus. I don't, I don't even know if Domi's playing center right now, but I can't even name a, a center off Columbus. How dare you, Miko Koivu is a legendary Columbus Blue Jacket center. Injured? Uh, no, yeah, I don't think he's even played a game yet. Oh, has he? <laughs> yeah, uh, he hasn't played. You're right, but he's coming back. I just so shot like, any lines. Like, you get my point, right? Like, I'm not saying Line A won't do well. I just don't know how well he does compared to the situation he was in. Paul, what are, you, what are your thoughts on the trade? And uh, if you want to respond to Aaron, you totally can. I won't respond to it. <laughs> but <laughs> you do, you do. No, I think, like, like you said, Aaron, you're like, you bring up a lot of good points. And I think it's just a matter of opinion. And that's fine. You're pretty stupid, but it's fine. No, I'm kidding. I don't know if there's a real winner. I think that getting Line A and Roslick is a very good haul, um, to, especially because you're put in a situation where, you know, they have a hard time keeping stars as is. Now an RFA says he wants out. Like, that's tough. And the whole drama, the previous game with Torton Dubois, like sitting him, him not showing effort, it's both ways. I don't think one was really in the wrong, but it definitely puts you in a bind. Like realistically, if you see that you should use that as leverage against Columbus. Right. Yeah. But getting a return like line and Rossovic, like that's really good. All things considered. But then you look on the flip side, like Aaron said, is line really going to thrive under torts? That's a, that'll be a very interesting relationship to see how that turns out. And Winnipeg gets another center, which they've been looking for, which is great. But Columbus needs to figure their shit out. Like, they've had a bunch of guys now say they want out and leave or get traded out. And they just don't get much back. Like, again, I said the return was good, which it is. But, you know, I am looking at the lines, and Aaron's got a real point. Who's going to give him the puck? Max Domi is your number one center? Okay. Cam Atkinson... Nick Foligno, that's your top line. Now you got line A, you'll probably bump one of them down. But Alexander Texier is your second line center. Like it's just, it's going to be interesting to see what they do there. Yeah. So let's talk about some of the fits. We, we kind of beat around the bush for both of them. So let's start with line A and Columbus. Obviously, the main thing that people are talking about is his relationship with Torts. He doesn't really seem like a Tortorella guy. And yeah. Like, although, like, it is worth mentioning that he has put in a lot of effort to improve his defensive game, but he's improved his defensive game from being literally the biggest liability on defense to now, like, the fifth biggest liability. So it's improvement, <laughs> but it's easy to improve when you're dead last, right? Yeah. But it's, it's still, there was, there was still a concerted effort by Lion A to, to make more of an effort without the puck. So the question really is long-term or even short-term, is it going to work with, with torts there? 
Uh, so the question I want to pose to you guys is if it doesn't, which many are predicting it doesn't, it'll, there's going to be a honeymoon period. They're going to be fine. But once that ends and potentially if there's a rift, do you fire torts for the betterment of line A staying there with keeping in mind what Paul said about keeping stars in Columbus? I don't know if you can fire him because it's such a double-edged sword. Like, yes, he could be the problem and why all these guys want out. Panarin did say it wasn't something to do with torts. It was just he wanted the bigger stage and that's why he left to go to New York. So I don't know, maybe he was just saying that because, but it's not a good look to have all these guys want out. On the flip side of that, torts gets the best out of this group usually. They're not, I don't think they're off to a hot start this year, but in past years, without some of that star power, he's been able to get this group into playoffs and to contend a little bit. So I don't know. I think maybe this could be the last straw just to shake things up. Sometimes you just, it's not really the coach's fault. It's just, you know, you need a change. And Mac sent this to the group chat and he made a really good point. Maybe that Finnish connection between Yarmo and Line might be the bond that finally makes him fire the coach. I don't know. And this is all like, there's no reason to fire a coach just to fire a coach. It, it would be assuming that firing the coach would almost completely ensure that Line A stays long term. Aaron? So I agree and I disagree with Paul a bit. The thing is, if I, if I look at the draft of 2016, if there was a real Finnish connection, wouldn't he have taken Pliarvi over Dubois? Right? Like he, the one thing Kekalainen said is it doesn't matter the nationality and it just kind of matters of getting the best player. And he brought Torts in to like get the best out of his team. Sure, like in his first year he didn't make the playoffs, but since uh, since 2015, I think they've been. At, that's the only year that they didn't make the playoffs. They lost in the first round. I think two years back to back, they made it to the second round. These last two years, uh, even on the Jack Adams, one of these years, like it's hard to fire Torts when he's bringing your team success. But the thing is, he they're not feeding him the players he needs, right? Like we all can say the line isn't a Torts player which we all know is true. But I, I don't think that Kekalainen's giving him the players that he needs to build like a successful Torts team. Now, that if it comes down to it and you, it comes down to line A or Torts, then you really got to think like, A, Torts has brought my team success. Uh, how much success has line A brought to us in these two years? How much has he improved and tried to adapt his game to playing under new coaching? Because if I change the coach, and he can't adapt to the new playing style. I'm not going to get a player's coach and just let it go because obviously that hasn't worked. And then with the stricter, more like hard nose, like Torts has brought, it's it's shown to be effective. But then you also got to look at it from the other side. If Lina is not really buying into the system, okay, maybe I trade him and get some kind of return back for him. And it's just not working out. So it really depends on both aspects of how both Torts uses Lina. And seeing like if he can really adapt a little bit to Line's game, even though he won't really give up his systems, as well as Line kind of giving up a little bit of the the offensive to play more in Torts' system. So it's really the give and take. But if they can't do it and it doesn't work, then I would say to the two, uh, it's more likely they trade Line, to be honest. Interesting. 
I think it'd be more likely that they can torts. But to be honest, you made great points. And there's one point that I want to stick on and potentially, it, this might be a bit of a tangent, but I'm just curious what you guys think. Aaron, you did mention uh, Kekalina hasn't really got torts, the kind of guys to play a torts team. Uh, and you're totally right. You're totally right. Like Line A definitely isn't that. Maybe he can turn into that. Who knows? But there is something to be said about the value of a coach that doesn't need specific players, right? And the coach mm-hmm. that I would point to is Barry Trotz. You know, he, where, wherever he goes, he just he manage, manages to create a system that brings out the best in that team, unless they're Washington in the playoffs for one year. But like every, every year with Washington, he always managed to keep keep them atop the regular season standings, always get them to the second round. And then he did finally break through. And again, with this Islanders team, we're constantly seeing them outperform their expectations because he's built the system around these players. Right. And whenever a new player comes in, he, you know, tweaks the system to accommodate that player. So is there credence to the fact that Torts is maybe a little too narrow-minded in his coaching tactics and his coaching abilities when he should less be expecting line a to, accommodate him and he should be accommodating line a i would see your point like yeah i would say there is it really depends because if you look at both like in your comparison the washington to new york teams both teams that barry trot stepped into like they weren't part of my language like in the shitter like they like like realistically columbus after that huge playoff run like their biggest free agent signing was nyquist right like New York went out last year and traded for Pajot. Pajot's a very good player. Like, their center depth is there. They have depth on the wings. They have prospects coming up. Like, I think if I think of New York, they have a true fourth line. Like, what a fourth line is supposed to be, the grit, the grind, the, to, like, protect your players or whatnot, right? Yeah, watch have... it. Watch it, Brian Burke. And, you know, we require as a team proper levels of pugnacity, testosterone, truculence, and belligerence. So I'm just, I'm, but you know, but you Turbulence. know what I mean, right? Like, yeah, they 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 have defense depth. Like Dobson, who's like their top prospect, playing like their sixth defenseman right now. Like he's gonna get better as time goes on. Ryan Pollock's like developing to be something amazing. Their goaltenders have been up and down. Like I think it started with Grice and I forget who else, but then they got Lanner. Thank you. And then now Varlamov's playing out of his mind, and Sorokin, who's supposed to be this god sent gift from the KHL, like. You know what I mean? Like, they have pieces. It's not like the Islanders are irrelevant. Now, there are no Washington with, like, O.V. Carlson, this, that, the other. But they're not a, a terrible team. Like, I don't think of – if I look at the Islanders versus Columbus, I think this team is more suited for trots already to step into versus Columbus for Tortorella. Like, he's got, a bit of, he's got a bit of everything on this Islanders roster – and he had a bit of everything on the Washington roster versus Porter, like that he can use and adapt to his systems versus like there's nothing really for towards the system to step into. That's my opinion though. Now, do I agree for the fact that like he should adapt to line 100%. You should adapt to your best player, but we'll see what happens there. Like he hasn't played yet. Paul, you got any thoughts? Yeah, I kind of disagree. Um, Say it loud I and think- proud, boy. Well, you've been beating this drum for a while. Like, Trotz is probably the best coach in the NHL, I would say. He's the, like, cream of the crop. And what I think is great about him, and we already kind of talked about it, he does get the best out of his team as well. So that's kind of like Torts. But like you said, he also tweaks his style 
or his game plan according to who he's got. Like, is Barzal really the defensive stalwart that plays under Trotz? No, he's the guy who has the free reign to do his thing because he's that special talent there. And they don't have as much star power as some of the other teams. He got Ovi, who was very much like Line A, to become better defensively and not be a liability 24-7. So what Trotz has done, I think, is very different from what – or sorry, yeah, what Trotz has done compared to Tortorella is different. And what makes Dubois an anti-Ports guy? Like, what was it about Dubois? Yeah, because he does seem to fit the mold. He does. He's like a power forward. He can score. I don't think he was that bad defensively. Um, no, he was actually pretty good. Yeah, so that's kind of what you want out of this Columbus lineup. Like, that's the style of play. So I don't really know what went wrong there. So I now you have anything. So then what's the problem? Like, that's just... what I'm getting. Like, you won't have an answer, I don't think. But, like, you know, there's something going on there. And Mine is now coming in. He is an absolute goal machine. He's a threat offensively, which they haven't had since Panarin. You got to make it work this time. And if that means tweaking your game plan a little bit, you do it. I think there's some great points on both sides. So we'll call it a draw. But mostly because I, we need to get to uh, Dubois actually fitting in Winnipeg. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We're the other side of this. About Columbus thus far. So, yeah, Dubois goes to Winnipeg. Aaron mentioned now they have pretty great center depth. Um, I wasn't a big fan of Line 8 or Line 8, of Stasny as their second line center. But Stasny is, argue, like in my opinion, an elite third line center. So, with Dubois on the second line and he's got Ehlers there, I think this could be a pretty nasty team. Aaron, do you want to kick us off with what you think about Dubois fitting into that lineup? I love it. I, I love, I love, love, love it. The reason is because you can play on the wing. Let's say you want to move Kyle Connor down to play with Stastny, and then you just go this massive line of Shifley, Dubois, Wheeler. Like, that's scary. Or you could even put him on the second line with Connor or put him on the left wing Stastny or put him instead of Stastny. Like there's so many options now that they can use Dubois in that it makes their lineup that much more of a threat. And their center does depth. Dubois like, play wing though? He can. I know he plays center, can. but like, can he? Like, is that yeah. a thing? I think he okay. has played left wing back in his rookie season. Yeah. Like, okay. I think it's easier for a center to adapt to playing wing versus a winger playing center. Yeah, and like he, a reverse Domi yeah. situation. Exactly. And it can, go, <laughs> it's like, it can go either way. And then Adam Lowry slides down to four, which is a great at, like a great fourth line center. He's been great there for, before. The one thing is Brian Little's hurt. I don't know if he's out all year or if it's just like career. I think he's done. Yeah, from like, what I've heard, I've, yeah. his career's in question right now. Yeah. Which okay. is unfortunate, but yeah. Yeah, so then let's say, okay, hypothetically then, all things go great. Brian Little comes back somehow. That's 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 really scary. That's a really scary lineup. Oh yeah, I love, like there's like there no there's no argument to say that they're any worse than Toronto or uh, Edmonton in center depth. No, I think the biggest thing too is coming into the season, Winnipeg and Toronto to me are the best forward groups, like all around top like top twelve in the North Division. In the North Division, yes. Yeah, sorry, yeah. yeah, in the North Division. I think this just really, 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 to me, kind of put Winnipeg above Toronto. I don't disagree. I don't either. 
I don't, I, I'm will. I like, obviously we have to see it in, in action, but on paper, right. it's pretty good. I do. I think uh, the Dubois train, it, like the hype for it is a little high. His, his like his season, like best, I'm pretty sure is 60 points. Something uh like that. But all that, even more importantly, he's 22 and he's projecting to be uh, at worst low end top line two way center. And that, that's incredible. Right. Paul, what do, what do you think about the fit there? I'm curious to see if he can maybe play more of a freestyle game now. See, like that's what I'm very curious to see if he can maybe produce a little more because maybe there's less restrictions I don't know but I do like the fit and even though they had to give up again line a and Ross like like that's those are two good players I feel like this is really good for Winnipeg like you said the center depth is insane they've lacked a true number two center for a very long time and Paul Stastny isn't quite what he used to be but he's still very good but now you add Dubois to the mix. Yeah, this is a very good forward group. The thing I notice about Winnipeg and why I think he fits so well in the lineup is at the very least when they played Toronto and a lot last year, in their top six, they don't really have forwards that know what to do on defense, eh? Like, Shafley's terrible. He's terrible in his own end. Kyle Connor has moments where he's pretty good, but he's not consistent enough. Wheeler's okay. But with Dubois there, I feel like he'll be able to give that Shifley line a bunch of offensive zone starts. And you can start Dubois line in the, in the defensive end because he's got pretty great defensive acumen already. I just think like that gives you a matchup line too with a couple superstars on the line or at the very least single stars or under superstars, whatever. I don't know. I Winnipeg could be could be interesting. Especially this year where everybody seems to be a wild card in that division. Like this is the year to go all in if you want to. And uh Paul, There's... between the three that have made projections thus far, you're the only one who doesn't have Winnipeg in the playoffs. I know. I know. This uh I think this could be a game changer though. But I don't know. There's still Still very early in the season, too. Would you, if you could, sorry, Paul, real quick, if you could, would you put uh, Winnipeg over one of Toronto, Edmonton, Calgary, or Montreal that you currently have in there? Uh, Sorry, who did I have? I had Montreal, Toronto, Edmonton, and Calgary. Yeah. Yeah, I would put them over Edmonton. Sorry, Aaron. That's okay. They've been playing like she. Anyway, Aaron, what were you going to say there? I was going to say, it's not even looking forward to like this season specifically, but I look at Winnipeg's roster right now. They have everybody locked up going into next year, except for Stastny, $6.5 million off the books. Perot, $4.1 million off the books. Adam Lowry, close to $3 million off the books. $13 million in cap space to maybe, let's say, go out and get that defenseman that they need, re-sign Pionk, and maybe get some more winger depth. Like, if they have, like, the, I'm going to say it's like, the perfect offseason, they're going to be absolutely deadly coming into next year. That's a really good And, like, point. I like this. It's, it's because they have that old veteran depth that is being a, paid a bit too much right now. I don't think Stastny comes back to Winnipeg next year. And even if he does, I don't think he's getting $6 million. 
or six and a half. And it's just, yeah. I think their roster right now is, is a lot of high-end paid players and then a lot of lower paid depth. I think come this off season, they're going to have that, they're going to find that nice median for that, that, that winger depth that they need, like on that third line and maybe get one or two more pieces on the back. And that's really going to help them. So I, I like this more looking into next year versus this year personally. Yeah, that could be, that could be a huge boon. And let's see, let's just quickly see what defensemen are available next year. <laughs> just because yeah, As you do that, that's a good point, especially because if they kept line A, he's up and you're going to have to pay him yeah. a lot. So this gives them that flexibility because Dubois signed. It's only two years, but it's more than line A. And yeah. for what? Think- wasn't it like $5 million? Cap matched. Deal? I think they retained some like one point whatever of Line's deal to match the cap. But I mean like for next season. Uh right, like, yeah, five million. Five million. Yeah, and Line A was definitely gonna get more than that. He so, was at six something, six two. Yeah. Something. Like yeah, you said, like, this um, is moving forward, this is really good for them. So what I found for this upcoming offseason is there aren't many great defensemen up for grabs, but there is one that is very tantalizing that would definitely fit within the amount of money that Aaron said they could have. And that is Dougie Hamilton. Mm-hmm. That's where my mind went to right away. Yeah. That Dougie Hamilton on that roster. And like, there are still some decent ones. Like, I mean, Tyson Berry, depending on the season he has, but maybe even more notably, there's like Nick Jalmerson who could be good on like a two year contract, David Savard. There's Ryan Murray. You know, a couple of nice pieces that could help out, but definitely Winnipeg could be a sneaky player for Dougie, Dougie Hamilton. You know, you know what I want? I want Dougie Hamilton to go to Winnipeg. I want Dustin Bufflin to retire, and I want them to sign Jamie Alexiak. <laughs> Just have the biggest defense. <laughs> biggest defense. Six, six, seven, Jamie Alexiak. Six, seven, six, eight, Logan Stanley. Six, six, Dougie Hamilton. What was... Dustin like six six as well. I think Bufflin was six five, but he's the heaviest defenseman in the league. Oh, dude, that'd be terrifying. It would be like when they had Myers and him and Truba on the right side. But actually good at hockey, some of these guys. Yes. Myers. Well, I think uh, I think that's a great segue. So we'll wrap our Dubois for Line part of the podcast. I mean, it was a it's an awesome trade. We're so happy to have, you know, interesting stuff to talk about. This is the closest I think we'll get to like NBA drama. So it was really yeah, nice. Yeah, and it's nice to have like player swaps. Yes. Like, and legit players, not like AHL players. Like this wasn't a draft pick heavy um, trade. Like this was like a good old hockey deal. Yeah. And hey, Kekalina is proving to be the person to make hockey deals with. But either way, so let's move on. You said Tyler Myers. Let's talk about Tyler Myers. Two nights ago, Tyler Myers is bad at hockey. <laughs> two nights ago, Tyler Myers uh, absolutely destroyed. I forget who it was, but it was one of the one of the Montreal Canadiens players uh, to a clear hit to the head. We think so. There was an obviously dirty hit in open ice. Tyler Myers took a couple strides, came in, knocked a guy on his butt. Looks like he may he went shoulder to head. Uh, it went to player safety while Twitter was blowing up saying that Tyler Myers at minimum should get five games for it. Uh, player safety said that 
there wasn't clear contact to the head, as in it wasn't like the first place of contact. So Tyler Myers uh, didn't even get a fine, let alone a suspension. Have you guys yeah, seen the head? Sorry, it was Joel, Joel Armia. Oh, yeah. Joel Armia was the, yeah. the Habs player. I'm just I'm, pulling it up again to rewatch it. It's pretty bad. It's yeah. really bad. So a couple things to start. One, I believe that the f- primary contact wasn't to the head. I don't think player safety is like dumb enough to just lo- straight up lie, right? They have no vested interest in lying about something like that. Now, does that mean it wasn't a dirty hit? I don't think so. That's see, that's what I was thinking too. So I'm watching it too now. Like he does, it does look like it starts in the chest, but he rides up so high, and it doesn't help that he's like seven foot whatever. Like well, that's a, but that's such a lazy my... narrative to say. Oh, it's because he's bigger. What is he supposed to do? Um, no, but that's exactly it, though, right? Like if you watch it. Um, what he does originally is, of course, he's coming from the blind side. The biggest thing is he's coming from the blind side. I was yeah. Say, yeah. But the best part about, but the good thing about it that kind of saves his grace, if you watch it in slow motion, he gets lower to try and get into the middle of the chest. Because if, because like you said, he's standing straight up, his shoulder goes right through his head. And that's why it looks bad. It's because he went lower. And when he follows through, he goes back up to like six, whatever he is. That's where the narrative yeah. looks bad. I think the worst part about it was that Armia had his head down and he came from the blind side. It's not the fact that I've like, I don't think it was to the head because if he, if it was meant to go to the head, he wouldn't have gotten his center of gravity lower. Like it just, yeah. and his elbow never followed through. And that's usually like a chicken wing to, to the chin or something, you know, like I personally think it should have been a fine for the blind side, but I don't think it's worth suspending. Yeah. I don't think it says, dirty as it appears that doesn't make it not dirty but the kind of point that i think i wanted to make with this was specifically when it it, there was some hit in the winnipeg edmonton game i forget who i think it was logan stanley actually um who is notably like six eight he like connected on a hard hit on uh zach hyman in the middle of the ice and ray ferrara went into this about how this is how hockey should be taught. Logan Stanley went out of his way not to hurt Hyman, right? Like he, since he's so much bigger, he always kept his center of gravity low. He didn't follow through up. He followed through forward. And that's just more of a technical difference to what Tyler Myers did. So while there is like, oh, Tyler Myers is tall. So he's just trying to stand up or, you know, whatever it is. It's not hard to follow through on your head as opposed to follow up on your head, right? And it's just kind of, just this silly trope that's continuing to put people in danger and not leaving uh, those who commit it accountable because it isn't too hard. And it is worth noting that Aaron did point out the biggest uh, problem with this hit is that he's coming from the blind side on a player that isn't, or that can't protect himself, which is why it should be uh, a suspension. But what should the changes, like, should there be changes to player safety? Paul? Yeah. Yeah. They've proven time and time again that they don't care. Like, this is, I wouldn't even say this is the prime example, but it's just another incident that's just like, uh, yep, sleep it under the rug. It's fine. Like, it's on they the just laundry don't. laundry list of things that they've yeah. messed up. It's just time 
like you expect when I saw this hit, I knew right away it wasn't going to be suspension worthy just because that's the precedent that they've set. So I don't know what you do. I don't even think Peros was the right guy to begin with. Like, why do they bring in just ex goons to run player safety? Yeah. I don't so get it. I think, and I, I've heard a lot of people say this and I think it's just the smart thing to do. Bring in a people that know injuries and that's like, you know, like kinesiologist types of people to support two types of players. One, like a George Peros, who can provide the, you know, the uh, perspective of the person committing a hit such as that, uh, because, you know, it, it, there isn't always malice in them and that should be taken into account. Right. Cause if someone's obviously trying to hurt someone, that player, no matter like the suspension gets higher or it warrants suspension, you know, there's, it adds another level to it. And then someone like a skilled player who was, you know, targeted here and there, like someone like Savard, Mark Savard, who, you know, would be well-versed in this, in these kind of hits. Yeah. Like imagine a committee. I was just going to say, imagine a committee of like Scott Stevens and then Paul Korea. And then you bring in, like you said, maybe a kinesiologist or just like a mediator that kind of, then does it like why is it on one person is it a committee or is george Peros the one who makes a decision no matter what i think it's a committee with like final say goes to george Peros, and i think they're more advisors to his final decision you know what i mean but i'm not God. positive on that they suck Aaron, i like that idea would you what kind of changes would you make to player safety uh it's hard to be honest because the, the biggest thing about player safety is if it's escalated to player safety, eh, George Paris obviously gets the final say. But the biggest thing is the timely manner of it, right? You have to make that decision as quickly as you can. I would say the biggest thing is kind of what was pointed at. Do it by a committee, but that's only when it comes to the suspension length. I would say leave the suspension or the, the – the kind of decision of yeah the leave that up to Paros or whoever heads the NHL player safety post Paros like if it's a decision or to suspend or fine I would say leave that to him but I would say the amount and the duration of the suspension should be put into a committee but I wouldn't say it's by X players because then that just becomes a bias opinion I would say more of team trainers or ex-trainers or whatnot that that would know the severity you know of how bad that looks or how bad it could have been if that makes sense because people can also tell like there was direct intent or there wasn't or it can say oh yeah if this had happened and his head had hit the ice his career would have been over you know what i mean like that medical aspect of it accumulate all their perspectives and be like okay on a scale from one to ten this was x amount of dangerous on the on that level and to spend the player x amount of games accordingly when we're talking about something like this it is all perspective right mm-hmm. like Peros doesn't know what's going on in myers head like i don't think myers really intended to hurt him i don't think any player ever really does that it happens Tyler Bertuzzi. but it is anyway. perspective Wait, yeah no, Todd Bertuzzi, it is Todd perspective Bertuzzi. Okay, yes, there are. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, continue. Yeah. But it is perspective. So, yeah, people are going to maybe make the wrong decision sometimes. It happens. But 
I think it's just happening too often in these cases, which is the issue. It's definitely going to be something we need to look for, especially in this shortened season. I figure it's shortened and condensed, condensed being more important. I think there's going to be a lot of injuries and a lot of questionable calls. Uh, so it's going to be interesting to see how player safety handles all those types of things. Cause it is also worth noting when a player gets injured, it doesn't always mean that it was a dirty hit, you know? So right. it's going to be interesting, but alas, we should move on. Let's talk about the North division. The one that Tyler Myers apparently polices now his policing couldn't do anything for Vancouver as they've just been getting shelled by Montreal. <laughs> so let's start with uh, two teams that suck, but we didn't totally expect them to suck. That is your Edmonton Oilers and their Vancouver Canucks. Aaron, is it all goaltending for Edmonton? No, honestly, no. Losing Clefbaum is a big loss. Yeah, it is. So you got to think, like, he was their number one defenseman coming into the season, last season whatnot, and his injuries have been so detrimental to the consistency of the power play, let alone just the team's overall play style. Him not being here this season, along with now losing Smith, who I, I would say was the starter. You can say they split it 50-50, but Smith was their go-to. Now you have, I'm not going to say like a lack of, but no real depth, really, in, in their defensive areas. I would say the defense is more the, the issue than anything. And the thing is, they've tried to make strides to make it better, but you can't rely on three guys of Darnell, Bear, and I would say even now Barry to eat up more than half your minutes. It just it won't work. Yeah, something I noticed, because I've watched a couple of the Edmonton games, Ethan Bear, who I am very high on as a player, is just playing terribly this season. I wonder if it's just that he's not ready for that top pair role, that he's maybe more suited at this stage of his development for a 3-4 second pairing type of thing. But he's getting caved in every night yeah and that's the thing too right you got to think you want you want to have somebody that can step into your lineup and kind of ease their way in bear was just kind of thrown in last year and he's he thrived and then they they kind of anticipated that he was worth and not he's not not worth it but like he that he was ready to take on that those heavy minutes but then you gotta you gotta think of like okay first game of the season who was a healthy scratch because he was struggling because you're expecting too much of him. He's you got to think he's second. He's a second year player, playing top end minutes. That's incredibly hard, especially when he's not like a, he's. Let's be honest. He's not a Hughes. He's not a McCarr. He's not like all those high end defensemen that can do that. You got to ease your way in, especially with the struggles that they've had defensively. Like Clefbaum would eat a lot of minutes. Darnell would eat a lot of minutes. So now they're relying more on Adam Larson, and Adam Larson's good, but like he's not worth playing your second most minutes a night. Tyson Berry, like we all know he's a great defenseman, but he can't play defense like consistently. You know what I mean? Like now you're starting to rely on your younger guys, like Caleb Jones. You have to bring in Slater Cuckoo, who's playing with Tyson Berry. And it's like, okay, that's not an ideal pairing. Then you have uh, like, you know what you, you get what I mean, right? Yeah. And, and these Edmonton Oilers defensemen, uh, you know, they had the opportunity to potentially look a little better in the past couple seasons against those just terrible Pacific Division teams. Uh, but you got some pretty scary offenses in the Canadian division between, you know, Toronto, uh, Winnipeg, especially now, 
even Vancouver, even though they've been sliding, they've still got dynamic people on uh, on offense. Calgary looks like they're bouncing back. And, you know, Montreal and Ottawa aren't to be scoffed at. And that, I'm only excluding Edmonton because, well, they don't have to defend their own players. So, like, being thrown in against these guys every game, you know, four times a week, it's definitely going to take a toll on some of the younger guys who they're expecting a lot out of. Um, but you mentioned Hughes. So let's skip over to the team that's maybe surprised the most as how bad they are. I know that Paul and I both didn't have them in the playoffs, but I don't, didn't think their fall to reality would be this hard. The Canucks are bad. Very. Paul, like, the, the stat that was going around is Pedersen finally got his first point last night, <laughs> a week and a half. I think he had like one assist prior to this. I think he, that was his first goal. I don't know if it was first point, right. though. I think he had like one assist, which is not good. And I've watched a couple of Vancouver games, actually. The ones against Edmonton, and I watched last night a little bit. And Pedersen just looks off. Like, he just looks really bad. And I don't expect that to be a long-term thing. We know what Pedersen can do. It's just, I don't know if he's trying too hard or what the issue is, but he's like fumbling pucks. He's making bad plays. Hopefully the goal he scored gets him kind of back into his groove, but you also can't rely on one guy. Like Pedersen is great, but he's still young. He, you need other guys to step up. JT Miller looked pretty good. I think that's going to be huge for them now that he's kind of back. But like you said, I did not expect Vancouver to be this bad. I said when we were doing our predictions that this year was going to be a step back for them just because of who they lost. And even though they did add, I don't think the, the time between the young guys coming up and growing into their own versus what they lost, I don't, it was a kind of a bad timing for that. So I did expect them to be maybe out of the playoffs, but like you said, not, like this their goaltending has been horrendous yeah Demko's really looking like that flash in the pan or that his uh, series against Vegas was a bit of a flash in the pan well, and Holpe isn't and I think we kind of talked about this he isn't really the reliable starter that he used to be no but the person that they lost shut them out in his first game eh and he's Jake, been very good he's been unbelievable Jacob Markstrom in Calgary uh, Calgary hasn't lost in regulation. Neither has the Montreal Canadiens. Like these two teams are playing yep. pretty, pretty well. And a lot of people saw Montreal coming. I very much disagreed. <laughs> um, and I'll, yeah, and I'll <laughs> I will wait before I declare yeah. uh, myself. It's wrong. still very early for that. But are, are we, are we all sleeping on Calgary? Like, can I, can I ask you a question? Yeah. You're you're a Calgary fan. I am. Um, and I want to hear your voice a little more. So I'm going to ask you this. Is Jacob Markstrom really the last piece that Calgary needed to figure it out? That's hard because their goaltending was an issue. Uh, they just needed a little more stability. You got big save Dave, who has proven he can do it, but he didn't prove he can do it consistently. Uh, Cam Talbot, obviously, it's... <laughs> complicated (laughs) right Aaron but I think like the main thing with them was 
playing in front of someone that could give them confidence. And he's definitely given them that. Like, I feel like Monaghan, Gaudreau, and Lindholm, notably, because Kachuk doesn't take any days off. Uh, But those three mainly have kind of played a little looser in the games that I've watched. Uh, And I think it's just they have they have confidence that they're not going to lose a game on a, on a random shot. You know what I mean? But I'm not convinced that everyone's back to normal there yet. Like Gaudreau is only one season removed from being like fourth in MVP voting. But the real question is Monaghan for me. You know, he's always kind of been someone who's both overrated and underrated somehow. And just looking for him to take that next step to actually being like a, a bona fide top line center that doesn't mean he has to be you know top 10 or top 15 of centers but just a clear number one center who can play in all situations I, d- I don't know it's going to be interesting Calgary is in my opinion the most fascinating team in the north division just because you know what one season ago they had 107 points it was crazy they're such a wild card yeah so I think I don't know like I think they're a playoff lock for me just I needed to wait to see how Markstrom did and I think Markstrom alone could carry them to the playoffs but if he gets the help he's been getting from the offense man they're gonna be they're gonna be a foe Um, especially when you consider Dylan Dubé and Andrew Mangiapane becoming not just guys like becoming productive top six forwards yeah they're they're interesting so Dallas Stars came back and uh, they're looking better than I personally thought they would have been. They won 7 nothing in their home opener over Nashville. And most notably, maybe, is that they had 5,000 people in the arena. Aaron, that many? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my. How, does, how does that make you feel, Aaron? I mean, you also got to think that they, they are a very good team. Like, they're not bad at, by any standards. They're just, you got, they're very old. <laughs> like, like you, right? Like Radulov, he's very good, but older. Pavelski, very good, but older. And they're going in this like new younger wave, right? And they have uh, injuries to their who would be starting goalie Bishop still, Sagan out the year, Blake Como out, Martin Hansel out, Stephen Johns out, and playoff hero Joel Curve. Well, you know, like. I'd say a lot of their lineup is injured out or just not playing up to what they were last year. So put their lineup back to what it was. I think Dallas should be a lot scarier than what they are personally. And that's with a seven, nothing drubbing. Mm-hmm. I wow. like, I, but that's what I think, right? You can never know. Like you're missing your two best players right now. I don't know. Right? I'd say I know Buffalo is making the playoffs, but that's just me. Okay. No, yeah, it's interesting. And what about the fans in the stands? Um, I mean, I'm fine with it. So from what I read from Sean Shapiro uh, at The Athletic, who reported on this, they're, it's hard because um, it seemed like everything was done right. You know, they there was constant monitoring six feet apart. Uh, it's hard to enforce the mask rule all the time because you 
you know, you don't have to wear the mask when you're drinking beer or eating a hot dog, but you know, where's the line between how long you can keep it off before you take that next bite or something, you know what I mean? Uh, and from what he said in the article, it sounds like the strictness on mask wearing was understandably more tenable for the seats that would be on TV and far looser for maybe a little higher up in the stadium that you got. So my thinking to there's two thoughts when it comes to this. Obviously, we know it's a serious matter and that I, I guess it comes down to two things for me. One, the NHL made up two bubbles last year for a reason, and it was to keep their athletes safe, right? Obviously, you need to make sales and tickets and concessions and merchandise. Obviously, we get that. It's a business. But the league took protocols to keep their athletes safe. If you're willing to open your arena to your fans, which you have every right to because, it's a, again, it's a business, make sure you're following the protocols and that, yeah, if you're, if you're opening it up, a certain percent capacity and you are enforcing everything to the max that it can be. That would be number one. Number two is if the, if the team decides to open it up, right? Everybody gave two garas black last year, but the athletes have an option if they don't feel comfortable with people in the stands to opt out, right? Like they don't, they, they don't have to be there. What if you feel comfortable in your player's hotel room? Pardon? (laughs) I am referring to uh, the Washington Capitals. I think that having the fans in there is more of an issue than your players getting together in a hotel room. And like, yeah, because they're the saying that, saying. yeah, because they said that part of the protocol for the players is they can't hang out in hotel rooms because they don't want people gathering. But which is fine. Like they are doing what they can, but I mean, what's the difference between them sitting on the bench versus getting together in a hotel room? Right. Like it's kind of, it is a gray area, but I don't, it's the same places who have fans in the stadium that also have like one of the worst um, rates of COVID. Right. Yeah, the three are Arizona, Dallas, and the Panthers. Yeah, so I know Texas isn't very good numbers right now. They had 2,000 new cases on the day the Dallas Stars started playing. Like, that's insane. So, And your whole team basically had it. Is that not Seven, a sign? Yeah, 17 players. Like, it just it doesn't make sense to me. I know it's a business, like Aaron said, um, so they're just trying to make some money back after all the losses of last season and to begin this year. But I don't know. It just seems kind of unnecessary during a pandemic. And that's the thing too, right? Like you got to think of it both ways. If the athletes don't feel safe, they have, they, they have every right to leave. And to be honest, if the, the owners opening up the arena to fans, the athletes, if they're not yet, yeah, they should leave personally. Like that's what I would do if I wasn't feeling safe. You also got to think Absolutely. Like, but if the owner is opening it up, onus on him or management to keep every protocol that the league has instilled held to the max. And that is, that is if you eat a hot dog, you eat it, you take a bite, your mask goes back up. Like it, it should not be lenient and it should not be just, oh yeah, we need fans in the stands to make money back. The whole goal is to keep your athletes safe. That's what the NHL protocol was about. 
months ago about locking them up, about having everybody quarantined, about making these divisions realigned. Like the whole point was to keep your athletes safe. And it doesn't seem like that is a huge priority. And that's where Dallas really should be thinking about. And so should the athletes about what is best for them. Even the fans. Well, if the fans are willing to go, right? Like that's, that's the biggest thing. The fans are going to always want to do what they want. And because they pay for a ticket, so they think they're entitled to do whatever they want. That's the biggest thing. So if you're a fan and you're just like, oh, I paid $300 for this seat. Nobody paid that for Dallas. Let's be real here. But example, right? No, like they're going to be like, oh, I paid good money. Uh, I'm allowed to do this. I'm chewing. I'm the-. They're always going to put up an argument to try and get what they want. So it's not going to be an easy fix for either way. But if you have those protocols instilled, you have the extra, let's say, security or enforcement in there. Like, the fans have to be respectful, but they're never going to be. That's the biggest thing. So um, why would you open up your arena to people who are just going to probably screw screw you even more in the future? I don't know why, but I found it really funny when you like the argument that I'm chewing. Oh, some some way you said it. <laughs> it's going to be definitely something worth monitoring, and I think one of the main things we'll have to look at is. Uh, in three weeks when the Super Bowl hosts 22,000 fans. That's going to definitely be a barometer for the limits that can be pushed uh, in the COVID world. So let's get to our last topic pick before trivia. Yesterday, the NWHL kicked off their bubble season uh, in Historic Lake Placid, which, uh, if anyone is unaware, is where the 1980 Miracle on Ice took place. Uh, it was also the debut of expansion team the Toronto Six who lost to the Metropolitans, uh, 3-0, I think. Uh, first of all, it's awesome that they're getting up and going, especially in such a cool setting. Uh, the games were really awesome, including uh, the Minnesota Whitecaps taking down the Boston Pride, the Boston Pride who last season went 23-1. and <laughs> uh, Unbelievable. Right? Uh, it was That one was a great game, too. Uh, among the many things that we should talk about with regards to the w- NWHL, I mostly, the first thing I want to talk about is the future of hockey and how I think they might be setting trends here. So first of all, the fact that it was on Twitch. So if you're unaware, Twitch is a largely a gaming streaming platform, but has since began to branch out to where uh, they've signed a three-year deal with the NWHL to broadcast their games on Twitch. Twitch also requires a free account. So I, for the first time in my life, had no one, because usually my parents paid for cable when I was younger, uh, no one paying for me to watch professional hockey. That's pretty cool. That's, that's huge. Especially just trying to watch these gosh darn Leaf games and getting blacked out Sportsnet. Uh, it was really <laughs> awesome, uh, you know, just being able to watch on Twitch. Uh, and the other thing I think is so cool is the interaction. So they're actually like using the Twitch chat to uh, talk to fans, respond to questions live during the game. Uh, they have this, it's called a beauty cam, but it's uh, a camera on the bench where players can, uh, obviously it's not going to be during play, but like in the intermission or during a stoppage uh, TV or commercial timeout and all that players can see Twitch chat uh, and respond to messages or respond to questions. You know, it's really, really interactive and it's really cool. And I think the biggest thing for that is you're making the game so much more 
accessible, which has always been a huge thing for especially like women's sports, just trying to get people to interact and watch. And I think they've done such an amazing job so far. And I think this is really going to help the league grow. And it's like you said, it's just awesome to be able to watch a game for free. And it's really good hockey. I was really impressed with Toronto six game yesterday. I only watched a couple periods and that was the only game that I was able to watch, you know, debut game. They looked really good. 40 shots and no goals. They're fitting in with uh, the Toronto sports, <laughs> but everything that they've done so far has been really cool. And I'm very excited to see how this progresses and helps women's sports in general kind of get into the bigger spotlight because the, I think it's the finals or the playoffs are going to be on national television. So I think CBC has it for Canada and NBC has it for the Americans, I believe. I don't know if Canada has it, to be honest. I don't, I don't think it's, being I broadcast. think CBC is going to broadcast it. Oh, okay. It's Cause I know From they signed a I deal with NBC. Yeah. To, to, to show the final four. Yeah, I want to say CBC is in on it. Um, I would have to double check. But either way, to get a platform like that is awesome. And hopefully they can start getting more games televised. But I think the Twitch thing is just, it's so cool. Yeah, you know, one of the first thoughts was while yesterday that game was happening, the Toronto 6 game, uh, Sportsnet was showing a game from like 1980 or something. And you got to beg the question, like, why... Why don't why aren't we just broadcasting that? Now to that, I'd also I, I also appreciate the fact that they had to go to or that Twitch approached them, right? Like the fact that they didn't get a TV deal means that they get to try out this whole new way of broadcasting. And I think that's gonna be so cool. Mm-hmm. I would have loved to see Sportsnet broadcast the Twitch stream. But yeah, no, I just think it's so cool, Aaron. Uh, as I know you are a Twitch user, uh, do you think the NA do you think there's elements of kind of the Twitch broadcast the NHL could maybe use in the future? Well, here's my, I'll, I'll answer this with a question back to you. Cause we like, we both like video games. When you watch somebody play like on Twitch, like a video game of that you're like, are you, and what's the biggest thing that people do? They donate to have their comment read, right? Yeah. Like, right. So when you're interacting with something that's it's like a new way of interacting like you want somebody to acknowledge your question you want somebody to acknowledge what your thought is through twitch like like you just said people are interacting more and answering getting their questions answered and whatnot like i think that's a huge huge factor as to why people should, it's like a great way to incorporate it and it's like esports are the biggest growing factor in sports right now like without a question Yep. Right. So why wouldn't you have another platform that is the NWHL, which should, will be growing and women's hockey will be growing joining that platform as well. I think it's a win-win all the way around. No, it's brilliant. And yeah, I, I meant to say this, so I'll say it is now as well. Yeah. You can donate money to the NWHL through Twitch chat. A lot of the time is to get your, you know, your, uh, your comment or your question read uh but what's worth noting is a you can subscribe to them or you can gift subscriptions and a subscription is five bucks and what that does is it allows people to access you know uh otherwise exclusive things like uh certain emotes 
various like discords and chats that you can that like are with like teams and all that uh maybe most importantly half of all the profit goes towards the players who uh most notably with the buffalo buttes i think it is their top two scores are you know full-time their full-time job are frontline workers so they couldn't come to the tournament and that's just goes to show that these players can't be full-time players because the pay is so so poor so being able to if you ever wanted to support in any way you know you could just sign up with a twitch account and you can donate bits you can donate actual money you can donate uh subscriptions there's many ways to help support the women's game and just what they're doing is incredible hopefully the nhl takes notice and a crime is one free subscription per month and with that it's time to get to the staple of the podcast the one that cannot and will not end the trivia And this week, we have another themed trivia, guys. Working together, the game show is called Who Were They Traded For? I like this. uh, And actually, uh, throwing back to what Paul said uh, a little while ago when we were talking about the the classic hockey trade, the whole point of this is I'm going to say a player and the year they were traded. And in in their trade that year, there was one main piece... Who was dealt back the main piece is always a player i will say which made it really hard because so many of like notable players were traded for picks but either way i'm going to give you the a player and a year and you'll tell me in that year who was the main player they were traded for can i ask how far back we're going there's one in the 90s um beyond oh, that there's like there's various years honestly it's just random i didn't i didn't i'm not like going back okay. for a year okay so let's so let's just let's let's get uh, get your fingers wet, and we'll we'll start off with one that hits hits close to home. Twenty sixteen, Adam Larson. <laughs> I don't like this game. It is on purpose. I don't what, like what? this I don't game know what anymore. you mean. I would have had been, this one of. It's been Aaron great being one. back. I will Paul, you have fun with the trivia. Goodbye, <laughs> Taylor Hall. Oh, sorry. Is that former MVP Taylor Hall you're speaking of? Oh wait, MVP with the Edmonton. Oh, yes, Buffalo Taylor Sabre. Hall. Taylor Hall is correct. Well done. Sad, this man. one is a bit of a deep one, uh, but mostly I just found it funny, and I wanted to see if you guys could remember who it was. 2018, Josh Levo. Um, your it? Yeah, Michael Carcone. Yes, it was. I just wanted to see if you could remember the name, because to be honest, I couldn't. All right, you guys are two for two. Well done. It gets harder, don't worry. 1995, Joe Neuendyke. Mm, I know this one. Aaron? Go for it. I believe it is Mac's favorite player, Jerome McGinley. It is! The only reason why I have it in here, really. Yep, Jerome McGinley. That was a trade that worked out for both teams, eh? Because Joe Neuendyke mm, helped. Yeah. Helped Dallas win the cup a couple years later, and Jerome Ginla is Jerome Ginla. All right. This one could be interesting because this player has been traded multiple times in short ish succession. Ben Bishop, 2013. Ben Bishop, 2013. Who was the main player he was traded for in that year? So would that have been him going to Tampa? Corey Conacher, then. But he's been traded. He was traded uh, to Ottawa as well. 
Right. So I'm thinking because he was to Ottawa from St. Louis. But that was before 2013, I would think, right? Uh, maybe. Yeah. I'm going to go with Corey Conacher, honestly. I think I, that I sounds think, about right. I, I can't remember the St. Louis trade, and I don't know what – I think it was the year before, but, yeah, just go Corey Conacher. You don't have to remember the St. Louis trade. It is Corey Conacher. Former uh, Calder winner, eh? I thought he was going to be good. Yeah. yeah well, the, that was a very interesting player. Yeah, oh. he won the Rookie of the Year that one year. He had, like, 60 points in his rookie year, but never, like, top 35 ever again. It was weird. But he was always point per game in the AHL. Very odd. Very odd. All you need. All right, guys. You'll face your stiffest test here. Alex Tangay, 2006. It was a blockbuster at the time. Oh, oh, this is familiar. Um... Just to help, because I don't – I'm not – I'm not – confident you guys will get this one at all he was traded for a defenseman in in what year 2006 aaron i know where he went i don't know who the player is i know he went to colorado from calgary Wasn't yeah, from, yeah calgary. from calgary who did colorado send to calgary don't know i have no idea would you guys like to wager your guess or take your first incorrect I'm going to be honest, I don't even know who was on Colorado in 2006. <laughs> Enough to guess. Joe Sackett was there. Milan Hayduke. No, yeah, they, that was a, it was a good team. Was that no, but I'm saying, I'm saying that was traded. Like, yeah. I, I wouldn't know a team that's enough to be traded. You guys calling it? The Colorado roster and guess. I may have to take points off for that. Yeah, I can't, you know, I can't do it. I, I genuinely don't know. Yeah, I have no idea. Uh, NHL 2007, the game favorite, Jordan Leopold. Wouldn't have got oh, that. Yeah, nope, not a chance. You guys don't remember Jordan Leopold? No, I know who. No, he we is, do, but like, we would never sure. would have guessed that was him. Oh, who got traded? He always had a. He always had like a. He. I felt like he could never grow a beard. You know, I just remember him always having a baby face. <laughs> anyway, <Okay. laughs> Marion Hosa, 2005. That would have been from Atlanta. To where? Ottawa? Yeah. You guys are heading down the right path. See, at least we remember the teams involved. We just can't. Ah, ah. yeah, I know it. I know it. I know it. Okay, I know good. It. I know it. Say it loud and proud, Aaron. 50 and 07, baby. Oh. Daniel Nathaniel Heatley. Absolutely. I don't know. How did I forget that one? All right, Paul. When Jeff Carter was traded in 2011. Oh. This was to the LA Kings. Correct. Um, oh, I feel like I know it, but I don't know if it's the right trade. And I can't if there was was there two trades or was it just there was two Carter? trades? Yeah, because there's Carter and um, what's his name? Uh, no, Captain Carter. There. Carter got traded Richards. twice, bud. Carter got traded twice. So, wait, what year did you say it was? 2011. So it's when he went to Columbus. So that would have been Ew. the the Boracek trade. Wow, look at you go. You don't need me. Yeah, he doesn't. It is the Voracek trade. Jeff Carter for Jake Voracek, among other things. That is a terrible trade for Columbus. Columbus isn't very good with trades. <laughs> Not <unless>. really. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Paul. Yes. Mike Richards, 2011. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. But this, there was like a bunch of good returns. I know you know the answer, but I had, uh, there were two right answers. Either one would work. Can I go with my boy Wayne Train? 
You can go with Wayne Train, yeah. And who was the other? Um, uh, wasn't it Brandon Shen? It was indeed. It was Brandon Shen. All right, you guys have had an easy road. We'll hit you with one hard one and one easy one. The hard one, gentlemen. If you guys get this, I will e-transfer both of you five dollars. Ooh. In 2009, who was Oli Jokinen traded for? Oh. Uh, By the way, I just want it, you to know. Is it you, weird that I feel like I know this? If you get it, I'm going to assume you looked it up, so I'm not paying you. <laughs> wow. Way to yeah. backtrack <laughs> on that one. In what year? 2009. Those are questions you'd ask a Google, ask Google. Cheater. So would this have been, he would have been out of Florida, right? If I had yeah, because it must have been because he was isn't he like the leading scorer for Florida or maybe now it's changed to Huberto or Barkov, but like he was. If I'm being honest, I only know him Florida to or am Arizona. I even thinking of the right Jokinen? Yes, you are. Okay. I only, I only <laughs> know him Florida to Arizona. Then there's a gap where then he went to Toronto and then we yeah. traded Toronto to Nashville and I don't know what happened after that. Uh, he also okay, went so he was in Calgary for a bit. He was in Calgary. So this must have been out of Florida, which would have been to Arizona then? I feel like Mac wouldn't tell us he was in Calgary if it wasn't for a reason, though. Mm, maybe. 2009. Yeah, I don't know. I wouldn't even know who then would have been the return going to Florida. or. Well, uh, Florida. Aaron, would you like to wager a guess? I wouldn't even, I wouldn't even know. Um, I mean, this. a couple of these questions were just – me being able to talk about people that I've since forgotten about, like hockey players. But if you guys are throwing in the towel, I understand. Okay. Can, instead of like, we're, we're probably not going to get it. So can you just tell us like the two teams involved? Florida and Arizona. Florida and Arizona. I, I, know he, I know he was, tra- I know he was traded with Luongo to Florida. Can that get me part points? That'll get you whatever you want, darling. Okay, cool. Um, <laughs> Arizona I have no idea. I have no Arizona. Arizona to Florida? No, Florida to Arizona. No. Yes. We're trying to find out the return for Jokinen now. Yes, but I'm saying it's what he's, he was in Florida and went to Arizona. So it's what. Yeah, so Florida we need to know who went. Yeah, that's what I said. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, yeah, I couldn't tell you. Yeah, I don't know. I got nothing. Uh, it was Matthew Lombardi. Nope. Wait, Matthew Lombardi Lombard. wasn't even on Florida, though. He did get traded there. He was flipped afterwards. Oh. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. All right, well. Uh, and to end us off, don't worry, it's an easy one. Aaron, who was Jordan Everly traded for in 2017? <laughs> <laughs> That's all the time we have. Thanks for tuning in this week. It's been a real Ryan Strom. It's okay, I had a follow-up. Who was Ryan Strom traded for? Man, I gotta love one for ones. Yeah, that oh, is um, all. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Ryan, Ryan Spooner. Yeah, that's it. Thanks for tuning in. We very much enjoyed having you here, Aaron. That's why I don't come on the podcast. I get bullied. All right. Anyway, thanks for coming on. Hope you had a good time, guys. Is there anything you'd like to say? Does anybody have an anti-bullying number? You know, support some people. Actually, nice. I think we may have a quick guest for a. A, a an appearance it's gaudy staff writer steve as always be safe wash your hands and wash keith's hands thank you and steve. with that i think 
the new staple of the podcast has got to send us out. Catch us on Tuesdays. That's when we release our stuff. And yeah, follow us on our socials. Although Mac in post edit will tell you that as well. All right. Thanks. Take care. Be sure to check us out at getofftheice.com. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at getofftheice.com.